I'm Penny and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Penny. And um, I, first off, I'd like to say uh, congratulations to the birthday celebrants. Um, but if you don't like what I share today, you can blame it on Dorothy. Dorothy is my sponsor, and she made me come out here. <laughs> it, it's good to be out here. Um, I used to come out here occasionally for the, for the meetings. It's uh, a nice little trip for us. Um, I uh, guess I should start from the beginning. I, I'm one of those who uh, believes that um, I was born with the disease of alcoholism. Um, I never knew how to live life on life's terms. And um, I was born into a, a family where uh, my grandfather was an alcoholic and my father kept him away from us when I was young. I, I was brought to his deathbed, but that's the only thing that I knew about him. And um, my mother was a tranquilizer abuser. Um, I, I can't say that my father was an alcoholic, but he had the ism. You know, he acted out in other ways, whereas I picked up with the alcohol. Um, my uh, sobriety date is December 3rd, 1988. And um, for that, I'm, I'm so grateful because... The day that I came into AA is when I uh, really realized what was wrong with me. I knew something was wrong all along. I just didn't know what. And um, it's afforded me a chance to, to learn how to live life. But um, when incest is a part of my uh, story, um, I was a very young, young girl when this happened. I have uh, three older brothers. Uh, quite a bit older than me, and um, I was uh, forced into that as a young child, and I buried it in my subconscious, and uh, later on it came to play. Now, I, uh, I must acknowledge that incest, that my, my childhood upbringing is not the reason why I'm an alcoholic. Um, I just have a disease of perception. And, and I perceive things around me differently than the normal uh, person. And I don't know how to, uh, I, or I didn't then, know how to cope with stuff like that. But anyway, I, I grew up in this family, and my brothers, they tortured me. I, I used to have these dolls when I was little that um, had stuffing. I'm dating myself. That's okay. But anyway, they would they would cut the doll's throat and hang her from the mantelpiece and or chase me around the house. So as a youngster, fear was really, you know, really installed in my life. I, I was terrified of them. We used to play this Frankenstein game and and um so I grew up with this this fear of, of uh, being alone, which played later later into my life. Um, when I was about maybe three, four years old, uh, they gave me uh, some alcohol to drink. They were having a party, and and they just said that I liked it so much they wouldn't give me any more. And um, and I and that's the only uh, history I had with alcohol during my my young years. Um, 
I was raised uh, Catholic, um, all of us kids were, but my father was Episcopalian, my mother was Methodist, so there was a lot of confusion about religion in, in our upbringing. And my mother would make fun of, of uh, our religion, and, and uh, I got a lot of you know, mixed messages and stuff. Uh, my mother was also um, a rager, and she was uh, verbally and physically abusive. And uh, put me and my brothers in the same room, we'd tell totally different stories. They didn't, they were all gone by the time my mother was in the sickest part of her disease, you know. So, so they don't really uh, know about the, the stuff that she was doing. And, and I don't choose to tell them that kind of stuff. They don't need to know that. But anyway, um, so I grew up, grew up in this, and I, because of the stuff that was going on when I was little, I kind of retreated to my bedroom, and I lived in there. I closed the door, turned on the TV, and I didn't, wouldn't interact with my family. Um, and uh, I remember uh, at one point my mother taking me to the doctor, and he said, has somebody... This may be a lot of detail for you guys, but this is my story, and I have to tell it whatever way it, it works for me. But um, the doctor asked her, had somebody been uh, doing something to me? And, and, you know, I was so terrified of my mother that I couldn't say the truth. And, uh, and then after that, like I said, this stuff got buried in my subconscious, and I went on and lived life. But I was really introverted. I didn't mix well with people. Um, I went through 12 years of Catholic education, and uh, when I, uh, you know, the only the only thing I did was uh, rebel, you know. Uh, but I I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I was the good little Catholic school girl. Uh, but at one point, I uh, told a priest what happened, and and basically what happened was that he made it seem like it was my fault because I was given this long penance and all this crap. So I walked away from that, the way I perceived things, thinking that it was, it was my fault. And, and um, so I, I went into my adulthood with this. But at 19 years of age, I uh, approached my mother and said, I, I want to have alcohol at my, my birthday party. I, I finally got a boyfriend, uh, and so she let me have alcohol, and um, he brought me over a fifth of 151 Bacardi. I'll never forget that night, as long as I live. And I drank half that 151. Now, there's no history of really drinking at that point. And I passed out, and, and when, I, when I did wake up, they gave me Pepto-Bismol, and I, and I drank the rest. And you know what it did for me? It... I instantly fit in because all before that I would, my mother would push me to go out to parties and stuff and I didn't want to do it. And, and I didn't want to dance because my knees would be shaking. But that night I was the life of the party. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you something. I was off and running. Um, a lot of people talk about how, how it developed over the years, but I believe that that night I crossed the threshold into, into active alcoholism. I, I, I drank for the effect, and that's the way I drank after that. You know, and, and early on in my drinking, I didn't drink every single day. 
but the the thought of alcohol was always on my mind and and i uh I was into college by then and um so I mainly I mainly drank on on the weekends sometimes during the week because I was still living with my parents but uh you know my mother used to beg and plead with me oh don't drink and all this stuff you know but of course you know you don't pay any attention and uh I uh got my first DUI when I was 21 I was working for the sheriff's department at the time and I, I was buying liquor before I turned 21. I didn't look like I was 21, but I, like I said, was working for the sheriff's department. I'd tell them, I'd say, well, you have to be 21 to work for them, you know, and most of the time I got away with it. And, uh, you know, I, I went to work for them. I replaced a friend of mine, and we used to go out at lunchtime. He moved up to another division. And we go out at lunchtime to the winery, and we go over there and and drink, and then come back to the men's jail and and uh, and do our job, you know. And I mean, nobody said anything, you know. And so I I didn't think it was any big deal, you know. And and that first DUI, I got a slap on the hand and a two hundred fifty dollar fine, and and uh, that was it, you know. So I. Uh, I continued to drink, and I I, uh, I got married. Um, I I had a terrible. I said I had a terrible fear of living alone. Well, my my disease uh, led me to marry four times out there in the midst of it, and uh, I, uh, I I married that uh, first guy, and we were we were only married a little over. And then we got divorced, and and by then I was uh, drinking a lot, a lot. Maybe not every single day, but almost every day. And I would really get blasted on the weekends, you know. And I I did a few pills. I um, also later on I I smoked a bit of pot, but alcohol was always my uh, drug of choice, you know. And all those things, other than alcohol, was to just slowed down my consumption of alcohol, but it really didn't. I mean, I, I even tried cocaine, and I didn't see what everybody got out of it. Um, I went to sleep on it because I just wanted to drink, you know. And uh, But anyway, um, I proceeded. I dropped out of college um, during that second, uh, bef- before my first marriage, and worked for the sheriff's department. Met my second husband there, a very codependent man. It was the perfect choice for me. And he didn't recognize the disease of alcoholism. And um, we got married, and um, I quit work, uh, found an um, education that could uh, afford me my drinking habit, and I, I became a x-ray tech. And... And I drank all through the schooling. I would go to um, class in the morning, and then I'd have a lunch break and and go into the hospital to do my internship. We did it concurrently. So at lunchtime, I'd always go home and get something to, to drink. And, and I remember one time one of the doctors saying something, but nobody ever really, you know, said, hey, you're drinking, you know. And it wouldn't have mattered anyway, but... I uh, 
I made it through, and um, it's amazing uh, when you really want something, uh, we can really get it. I made the honor roll in the beginning. Of course, I did drop down to C's, but I made it through. I got good enough grades that I could get my profession, and I was really good at my profession. And I started working, and back in those days, um, on holidays, it would be just one tech and, and a helper, and, and you may do uh, 30, 50 patients in a, in a day. And I remember one time I was sitting there, and I had, um, I had my vodka and orange juice right on the counter with a patient and his mother right in front of me. I had a, a paper over it, you know, but I just didn't see that that was a problem, and I thought you couldn't smell vodka anyway, but, you know, I, I never got in trouble about it, and, and this continued on. And I had the perfect job that I could move from job to job if things just weren't quite right. I didn't have to blame it on me drinking. I could blame it on other things, and I could move from job to job. And um, and that's what I did. And uh, and by then I had married my um, third husband, and um, I had uh, I got my I was on my third DUI then. I had my second DUI with my other husband, and. Um, they still didn't give me any jail time. This was in California before they got real hard with the laws. And I uh, proceeded to, uh, to still drink. The day that, what happened that day is I was on the Harbor Freeway, not the Harbor Freeway, the uh, freeway going into uh, the, uh, the San Bernardino Freeway. And I was coming around by the university and I drove right into a flatbed bed truck. I had a Camaro, and it caved in the passenger side of my car. And if I would have been sitting on that side of the car, I would have probably been decapitated. But I wasn't, and you know, being drunk, I had a deep gash under my chin, and that was about it. But, but they uh, knew I had been drinking, so they, uh, they arrested me. And, and I went to the jail where I worked with these people, which I wasn't working there anymore. I was in my field. But they remembered me, you know, and, and I remember laying on the stretcher. It was it was in the Hall of Justice downtown and and the guy uh, started stitching me and, and they wouldn't give me any anesthesia to any numbing medicine because they didn't know how much alcohol I had in my system. And uh, so they, and he made those stitches really deep. I mean, I, I was squirming, but, uh, but anyway, and I, you know, when I got released from jail, they released me on my own recognizance, you know. And, you know, and I look at this stuff today and I thought, man, you should have put me under the jail. But, you know, I mean, I'm grateful now because I'm here, but... Um, my brother came and picked me up, and as soon as I got into his car, I said, um, can we stop by the liquor store on the way home? I just, I just, I just didn't get it. I just didn't get how sick I truly was and that I, I really had no choice. And I thought it was, I still thought it was okay to drink. 
So I, uh, I ended up divorcing that second guy, marrying the third one. And um, when I was married to the third one is when I got the third DUI. The other one was the second. And um, that third DUI, I moved, had moved from California to Vegas. And um, when we moved to Vegas, this smile, just I could feel it go across my face. 24-hour drinking, you know, 24-hour town. And yeah, there was this, just this warmth. And uh, I got there, and like I said, I got that third DUI. And by then, you know, I was a little afraid then because I thought, ooh, it's, things were getting harder in, on DUIs and all that stuff. And I just, the thought of going to jail after working in one, I thought, oh, I just can't do that. But anyway, I went before the judge, and it was so weird because he looked at me and he said, um, I'll bet you you'll never do that again. And I looked at him and I said, no. And uh, um, it's almost like I thought he knew about my past, but he just figured. I always managed to keep seven years in between my drinks and, and my DUIs in, in California. So, you know, they really couldn't do a whole lot to you. But anyway, so uh, I, uh, my license was suspended for a while, so I uh, got friends to take me around. I still drank, you know, and um, once my uh, license, once I got my license back, I uh, actually, I drove a moped for a while uh, because I just thought, you know, that would be safer. Um, but one night when I uh, came home uh, from the corner bar, I uh, was going over the humps and, and I flipped over the front of the bike and my head was out to here. And by this time I was married to the fourth guy and he was not a U.S. citizen. And um, it's like my, my picker was really broken if it wasn't before. Um, so we had to go to immigration and I'm sitting in there with this eye out to here and she's saying, did he beat you? She made him leave the room and you know, you, you think that you get a clue, but you know, I told her, I said, no, no, I, I fell, da, 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 but you know, uh, this is where I think I started getting a little bit of clarity is not because of that incident. It's after we left there. Uh, but I've got to go back a step here. Um, after my second DUI, I, uh, I really had a total of four. One never got, got processed. There was never a, a um, warrant or arrest for me. And I ended up fleeing and going to, uh, to um, New Orleans. And I lived there for about five months. And... Um, I did not drive for seven years because I really thought I had a driving problem and not a drinking problem. So for seven years, I, I punished myself and didn't drive, which it's good for everybody else. Um, and then fast forward up to uh, the um, last DUI out here, I mean uh, in Vegas. I was sitting on the uh, on um, Flamingo Road, 
facing in the wrong direction at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was bombed out of my head, and, and the police stopped me, and I said, uh, you know, just arrest me, just arrest me. They wanted me to take the test, and, and uh, he says, no, you have to take this test. So finally the other cop said, no, let's just arrest her, just arrest her. But they gave me a hard time, and then they finally arrested me, and, and, uh, and I still didn't get any time. Um, but things started deteriorating, and I started really seeing what this marriage was about. And um, I was in the store one day with uh, my husband. We had bought some groceries. And he was playing the machines while I was paying for the groceries. And then when I, I wheeled the cart past him, I said, let's go. And all of a sudden, I turned around, and he's coming out of the store with um, another cart of groceries. And I'm going, that's not our groceries. And he says, no, just, just go. Go to the car. And I went to the car, and, and I'm saying, these aren't our groceries. And then I see this little old lady with white hair coming out of the store and saying, somebody took my groceries, you know. And I'm going, they're not our groceries. But he ended up putting them in the car anyway. But but that really uh, really did something to me, I think. And and what I ended up doing was um, kicking him out of out of our apartment. And I gave him the car to get rid of him. And um, what happened for me that night is a friend of mine called me and uh, asked me if I wanted to go to an AA meeting. This is a few days after I got rid of him because all I was doing was drinking and, and barely making it to work. And uh, I told her, I said, okay. Now, this wasn't any sudden deal, but I, had, I believe that God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And what happened was I was working three different jobs to support my uh, my habit, and um, God had put some people in my life uh, that had some connections to AA. The first one was a girl I worked with on one of my part-time jobs, and she um, she told me that her husband was an AA and she was an Al-Anon, and you know I told her I says, well, you know I may be a weekend alcoholic, and at, at that point. To say I was an alcoholic was no big deal. I wasn't going to do anything about it. I wasn't ready. So um, we ended up working together for a little while, and that's as far as it went. And then she ended up partying with me one time, and she drank as much as I did, and so we, we kind of went our separate ways. But my full-time job, I was put with this girl who uh, went to ACA, and she told me that she considered herself an alcoholic, and she would talk to me every day at work, and and talk to me about the program without telling me what it was about. And I, you know, I believe that she kind of walked me through those first three steps. And because we were sort of raised the same way uh, in religion and, and stuff. And, and um, she told me about asking God to take away the desire and the compulsion, she called it. And, uh, you know, and I, I still drank and was doing my thing and... Then I ended up working with that other girl again, and she says, oh, I'm in AA now, you know, and, and da-da-da, you know. and um, So that's the person who called me that night to ask me if I was ready to go to an AA meeting. And that's when I said, okay. And I had no idea 
what AA was about. Um, I, I remember when I was living in California, I'd see these TV commercials where people would be standing there with candles, and I'd have to leave the room. It'd give me the, the heebie-jeebies, you know, and I'd have to, to leave. And, uh, but I, had, I didn't have a clue of what Alcoholics Anonymous was about. But I just said yes, and, and uh, you know, and I, and I did go to my first meeting that night. And when I walked in there, she told me, she said, she made it really uh, alluring because she told me that, um, well, you know, you can still drink and go to AA. She said, you can drink for six months and go to AA. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm uh, you know, but with my pride and my ego, I uh, got up that morning and I'm going, I'm going to an AA meeting. So I got on my knees, and, and I, uh, I knew I was going to go to the store, and I, and I asked God, I said, please take away the desire for me to drink. I said, because if you don't take away the desire, I'm going to the store, and I know I'm going to buy alcohol. And um, the true intention was for that day, just so that I could make it through that. I didn't want to go into a meeting uh, smelling of alcohol. And, but I really had, my intentions really weren't forever. But um, I went into that meeting that night, and um, I raised my hand, and I was shaking, and uh, said, everybody else was saying the same thing. I said, I'm Penny, and I'm an alcoholic. And what I got, I, I don't remember what I heard in that first AA meeting. I just know what I felt. And I got a, a feeling of love in there. And when we um, stood to hold hands um, after the meeting, this one guy, we called him John Z, big old guy, he came up to me and shook my hand and said, keep coming back, you know. And, uh, and it kind of, it hooked me. I, I knew that I belonged there, but I was terrified of all these people. I was terrified of everybody and everything and didn't even know it. I would intimidate people because I had a good mask. But um, after that, uh, I didn't have a car at the time, so she was taking me to meetings. But um, I got this old beat-up car, and on Christmas night, it broke down on my way home from the meeting. And uh, these people stopped and, uh, and helped me and got it started. And it was really a weird experience because when I, um, when I drove, after they helped me and I drove away a little bit, it broke down again. These people had followed me, and they helped me again, and then they followed me all the way home. And um, I believe that God honors effort, you know, and that was all the effort I could do. I made it to that meeting, and he made sure I got it home. But um, I... Uh, I would sit out in the, in the um, parking lots at these meetings, terrified to go into the rooms of AA. And I'd get there an hour, hour and a half before. And, uh, you know, I see people coming in here now laughing and talking, and I couldn't talk, you know. I, I, was, I was really broken. And... Uh, and I would finally go in, and I went to this one place. It was a, a 
like a club, but not really a club. Um, and this old man would be in there. I was pretty young then. And um, I'd go in there, and um, he'd start talking to me, and he'd have me help him wash ashtrays and coffee cups, and, and we'd talk. But he was the only one I could talk to. And then I'd sit. Uh, they had these, like in a restaurant, where they have those benches against the wall. Well, I'd be all the way against the wall. It was like I was melting into the wall. And and um, the only thing I'd say, I'm Penny, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic, you know. But this one uh, guy would just pick on me. It would piss me off because he'd call on me, and he knew I wouldn't share. And But he did it anyway. And you know what I found out is after my first year, uh, they were running bets on whether I could, I would make a year or not. And my one friend that was from Utah, he says, I knew you, I knew you would, you know. And, uh, but anyway, I, uh, I slowly, slowly, slowly started coming out of my shell, baby steps. I finally started going around and co uh, pouring coffee. It took me six months to be able to chair a meeting, and a good friend of mine's husband literally held my hand while I chaired that meeting. And um, I couldn't even pick up my cup of coffee because my hand was shaking so bad. I didn't have the DTs when I came in. It's just, I just was so self-centered to the max that that was that kind of reaction I had. And even at six months, I still had that, that uh, issue. And it took me a, many years, I think, to realize how truly self-centered I was. It, it tied into all of my, my abuse issues and all of that, that stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and um, I'm just so glad that I stuck around long enough for the miracle of AA to, to work for me. To, I had to, uh, at first I was only going to meetings on the weekends. Um, and I thought, well, you know, it's when I don't have anything to, to do, you know. And I, like I said, I was working three jobs. And when I got sober, I was saying something about being rich before the meeting. When I got sober, I was still working the three jobs. I had so much money, I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'll never see those days again. But anyway... Um, <laughs> I slowly started giving up those extra jobs, and I started going to more AA meetings. So after that, it took me about two months. I was going to a meeting a day, and I went to a meeting a, a day for two years. I got a good foundation in AA, and it was a love that I had to develop for this program and, uh, and to start this growing relationship with this God of my understanding. And... Um, I um, I want to go back to those childhood issues uh, because it's really important. Uh, what happened for me was uh, when I was 10 months sober, I believe that God brought me into this program. I didn't I didn't bring myself in. I really didn't. Um, he tricked me uh, by taking away that desire. I I never wanted to drink after that. But um, I I know he knew it was time. My mother was my mother died at ten months, and I and I think that um, I would have had a hard time surviving that because we had such a love hate relationship. 
But, you know, at five months, she told me that the same thing happened to her. And um, I got off the phone. I wanted to just say something nasty to her because she didn't respond to it in a good way when, when I was young, when I finally told her. And, uh, but I didn't. I believe that, that God stopped me from saying anything. And it gave me a chance to take some pause and to think about, about what her life was like. She had a miserable life. Um, and she had never told anyone in her life about this. And it was a uh, day before she turned 77 is when she died. So out of that, I, I realized I was grateful to God that he gave her the opportunity to let that off of her chest. And um, because I think that's, you know, that's what I needed to do was to let that off of my chest with, I worked through my sponsor with it and, and stuff. But it, it helped me approach my, uh, my brother at a year and a half of sobriety. And, and what I did, um, you know, I know that I was young and it wasn't my fault or whatever, but the problem was that fancied or real, I blame myself for it, you know, and I beat myself to death. And so therefore, at a year and a half of sobriety, I approached my brother and told him that I forgave him for that. And once I did that, I was able to forgive myself. I had never been able to forgive myself for that stuff. But I had to be willing to forgive in order to be forgiven, you know. And um, so that started uh, me on that road of recovery with that. And... uh, you know, I carried a hatred for my family for 30 years, a deep hatred, and that stuff has been lifted, and I've uh, made amends with all my family members, and my father lived for seven years in my sobriety, and he did nothing but support it. Um, I think he knew because of his father, but um, he... Uh, he went to a meeting with me one time in Vegas, he and his, his, uh, ex, he and his wife, his second wife. And um, right before we went to the meeting, he says, you're not going to say anything about, about me. I, he didn't do anything to me or anything, but it's that, you know, we don't want anyone to know what's going on in our family. And I said, oh, no, Daddy, you know. So I went to this meeting that I chaired, and I... Uh, just didn't share, and but you know what? He enjoyed the support that he saw people getting in these meetings and stuff, and they they talked about it after the meeting. and And my oldest brother went to one of the meetings with me, and and he he really liked the support. He even opened his mouth because he has to. But anyway, uh, he's. Uh, I remember there was a point in my life when he was. Um, going to see a psychiatrist and and I always thought asking for help was a weakness you know and and really he had the smart idea you know and so for me when I came to AA that was my asking for help and uh, you know AA is uh, there's a there's a lot of stuff I could tell you but uh, I don't have the time to tell you and and I will say one thing. The first time I ever told my story, I shared for about five minutes. I was a year sober. Oh, my God, they never should have asked me to share my story. I was crying, and, and uh, it didn't go over very well. But you know what? There again, God honors effort. <laughs>
every time I've shared my story since, it's become easier and easier, and I feel more comfortable uh, doing it because my my mission is to to give away what I have, and 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 my past has become my strength. Um, we can recover from from that kind of stuff, and uh, you know for. For that, I'm really grateful because AA has shown me my mission along with, with my uh, higher power. And I've come full circle with this God of my understanding. I, uh, I believe in the same God I had growing up. I just perceive him differently. I don't get involved in church. That's just not my deal. But, um, but I let my God be whoever he is, and I don't have to define him, and, and I don't have to go there. Uh, I may go occasionally, but uh, but it's all about for me a uh, a personal relationship, which I found through AA, and uh, you know I I used to be terrified of driving across country, and when I got sober, I started doing that, and I drove out here to visit my brother, and I started doing a lot of things for myself. I I, I was a year, a little over a year sober when I bought my first house, and I, I always thought that um, that uh, you had to be married to do stuff like that. You couldn't do that stuff on your own, you know. And and I remember standing out there in Henderson, Nevada, looking at this house I was going to buy, and I said, "Oh God." I don't know. I've been in an apartment by myself, and, and from the day I got sober, I was able to sleep with my lights off and in my bed. But to step up to a house, I, I was really a little intimidated. But I just kind of prayed and said, uh, your will be done. Either give me the house or don't give it to me, whatever. And I got the house, and I, and I, I walked through that fear. And and I believe that uh, we just have to be willing to walk through the, the fears. Um, and I've bought a lot of other houses since. And the last one I bought, I had to walk away from. And, you know, I remember listening in Vegas to people after 20 years. Um, they, some people lost everything before they came to AA. I gave away a lot of stuff, I think. I paid my way in. But, um, you know, and then some people lose everything after 20 years, you know. And, and it was around 20 years when I, uh, I started losing stuff, you know. And I ended up, uh, it took them two years to get rid of me on my last job. But um, they finally let me, let me go, and I knew they were going to do it. And I ended up walking away from my house before then. And, and, uh, and I ended up, decide, I decided to uh, retire. I semi-retired and uh, took off work for five months and had some money saved that I lived off of and, and reevaluated what I wanted to do with my life. And, and I decided I couldn't go back into a hospital, push and pull the patients anymore. My back was too bad. And, and they took my spirit away. I loved what I, what I uh, did, but uh, the job uh, situation nowadays is, is really, really bad. So I decided I didn't want to do it anymore, so I uh, let my license lapse, and I went and got a little part-time job where my sponsor used to work at a school cafeteria. And it is really hard work, but I'm off every weekend, every holiday, two months off in the summer. 
I love that. Hate the work, but but I love the time off. But um, you know, and and you know, I look back on it and and all the mental stuff I with, went through, watching over my shoulder for two years, waiting for them to you know cut my head off, and and uh, I I really believe that this is the way it was supposed to be, you know, and. And I need it. I need it to slow down some. And uh, you know. And then I then I went to this period of I had to wait for three years before I could even um, think about buying anything else. And it gave me a long time to reevaluate myself. And and that's what AA has done for me is to really give me a chance to pull back and look at myself and look at my situation and everything around me. And uh, I finally decided I wanted to buy a condo. And, and um, a month before I was, my three years were up, I, I went looking. I, I called a, a guy, a broker, and, and uh, he looked into my uh, situation, and I told him about myself. I didn't tell him I was in AA, but he uh, said, you know, you have recovered so well from, from your, your stuff. You can buy whatever you want. And I said, no, I want something that's not too expensive, that just meets my needs. And, and lo and behold, the day I went out, I find, found something. And um, a month later, I was in it, you know. And, and, uh, and I'm really grateful. I think I appreciate that more. I don't think I really ever appreciated all the nice big houses with the nice pool and all that stuff. But uh, today I, I really appreciate what I have. And, um, you know, I, uh, I sponsor uh, girls and uh, I do service within my, my home group. I don't, I'm not a GSR intergroup. I, I tried intergroup for a year and I, it's just not my, my cup of tea. But um, I believe that service... Uh, can come in many forms, and it doesn't have to just be uh, within uh, AA. It can be uh, outside of AA. But uh, I don't know if I have anything else to say, except for I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I never would have known what was wrong with me if I wouldn't have crossed that threshold. And uh, I thank you guys for letting me share. Thanks. Thanks.